Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, back to your tech report. Welcome back to your tech report. I am Marco Flalo, as always joined by Mitchell Whitfield. Please follow along with us on all social media. It is twitter.com slash your tech report. Of course, youtube.com slash your tech report. All that fun stuff, Instagram, etc., etc. Mitchell, Mobile World Congress yes. wrapping up in Barcelona, Spain. I wish I was there. This is one of those shows where I, I really, every year we say, man, I wish we can go. And part of it is, of course, because it's Barcelona, Spain. But, you know, when it comes to mobile stuff, this is stuff we're talking about all the time. But, you know, why not bring in someone that is a little bit more expert in this area than us since we are not there? What do you think? How about managing editor of Mobile Nations, Derek Kessler? I love that. That's a great idea. Where is he? Derek, welcome to your tech report. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, and I'm here in Barcelona. I, I know. you're there. It's like <laughs> rub you're, it in, Derek. Just rub it like, in. You're like our correspondent. Let's call it that, shall we? Derek, uh, to tell us about, uh, obviously, you know, Barcelona this time of year, cold, hot. I have no idea. Normally, this time of year, it's pretty temperate. Uh, we can expect temperatures in the 60s or 70s, but they've had a bit of a cold snap this year, so it's it's actually warmer back at home for me than it is here in oh, well. Barcelona. You know, Derek, before we you know before we get into it, we want to talk about obviously what you do and also about your experience there. But just real big picture for our listeners, because one of the things we talked about about a CES this past year was <clears throat> how it seems that a lot of the bigger companies have stayed away from their huge flagship announcements at these big shows. They've gone to more proprietary method of just giving out information about new products throughout the year through through their own mini events. Have you seen the same thing with uh, you know MWC that there's been a little bit of a decrease in the big wow factor of announcements and that companies are doing more of their own mini events throughout the year? Uh, somewhat, yes, absolutely. Because you can, when you're part of a trade show, you're competing for attention against all these other companies. Right. Uh, when you do your own event, you're the only thing happening that day unless somebody manages to schedule something else. So <laughs> it's a lot easier to make sure that you control the news cycle and you're not immediately being compared to the thing that's announced three hours later when you have your own events. But Traditionally, MWC has still seen some pretty big announcements, but a lot of companies got tired of being overshadowed by Samsung, who traditionally announced yeah. their new Galaxy S phone at well, MWC. So a lot of it backed out of doing anything big this year because Samsung said, the F9's coming. Yeah, so I mean, it's like our friends over at LG, I reached out to them a couple of weeks ago. They're like, yeah, we're not going to have much to talk about MWC this year. So I said, oh, that's kind of that's kind of sucky. So so let, let's recap the, guys, the top stories. I guess it starts with Samsung, right? Absolutely. Uh, so this year was the Galaxy S9, and it's really kind of just a minor evolution over the Galaxy S8. If you already have a Galaxy S8, you're not going to be all that impressed by the Galaxy S9, and that's fine, because Samsung knows that most people, unlike you know crazy phone weirdos like me, don't buy new phones every year. They're fine just having a phone for two, maybe even three years, and so that this isn't a huge upgrade over the S9 isn't a huge deal for Samsung because they know that when they do the S10, it's probably going to be revolutionary over whatever the S9 and the S8 were. Uh, we're looking at minor improvements over the original, over the last year's phone. Uh, they've gone from a Snapdragon 835 processor to a Snapdragon 845. They've bumped up the aperture of the camera. And the S Plus now has two cameras, so it has the same telephoto zooming camera on it as you can get on the Note 8. 
and they made some improvements to the screens and it has better speakers. What I find interesting about this this um, release from Samsung is that they shifted their marketing. They're calling this a you know a camera before a phone. Literally in their marketing, they're saying yeah. this is a, a camera before they're even talking about the fact that it's a phone. Yeah, absolutely. The camera is really the only part of this that's interesting, and they've done some parts of uh, some parts with the hardware and the software of this camera that are unlike anything that anybody has done on any other phone. The main camera on both phones actually has a variable aperture on it. So it has a mechanical restricting aperture. So when it's too bright outside, and we've all done this, we've gone to go take a photo outside, and you take the photo and the sky is just white so that whatever your subject is can be exposed because it's just incredibly bright outside. And so by having this variable aperture, it can actually restrict the amount of light that gets into the sensor so that you can take a better photo during bright lights and even during typical uh, daytime settings. And at the same time, that allowed them to put in the wider aperture for nighttime shots. So you can get a lot more light in the camera when it's really dark, which should help for vastly improved nighttime shots. You know, I saw that. I saw the. Uh, I saw some videos of it here. You know, that being that we're not in Barcelona, I'm still a little bitter. You have to forgive me. Uh, we we saw some videos of this in action. It was so funny to see that little tiny iris opening and closing in those close-up shots. Yeah. I think uh, you know it, it's really a special thing, not just because obviously photographers you know are rejoicing all over the world that they finally have this sort of control in a mobile device. But I think we're so used to seeing things change on the software side when it comes to the camera. You know, aside from the different you know different lenses, different glass they put in, it was just so funny to see such a tiny little thing a tiny little iris opening and closing we're not used to seeing that tiny a gadget actually inside a phone on a i mean you know a, a camera on a phone it was kind of bizarre absolutely it's weird to just have mechanical bits at all yeah on yeah. a modern smartphone it's I'm, I'm looking at holding a phone here in my hand and it's a solid piece of technology and there's nothing on it that moves so derek obviously um you know there are a couple of the big big announcements. The one that kind of surprised me was Nokia, because we haven't heard them in the news in quite some time. I don't think the last time, I think the last time we heard anything about Nokia was they were still owned by Microsoft at that point. So uh, tell us about some of their announcements. Well, the Nokia that we're talking about is actually a company called HMD Global. And they are made up of former Nokia and Microsoft employees after Microsoft bought Nokia's hardware division and started making Microsoft phones. And it turned out they weren't very good at that, or at least they weren't <laughs> good at making phones that people wanted to buy. And so they shut that down. All these people wanted to go somewhere, and they still wanted to make things with the Nokia brand, and with that Nokia design ethos. And so they created HMD Global, which then went and licensed the Nokia brand from Nokia to go make phones again. So they literally, their headquarters are across the street from each other. <laughs> uh, they basically the same team the same people that have been making Nokia phones for years, but now they have a little bit more freedom to do what they want with it. And last year they came to uh, MWC and they, they had their coming out party. And they had a couple of phones, and none of them were like particularly impressive. They weren't you know, these really high-end phones that are going to sell for six, seven, eight hundred dollars But they focused on what Nokia has traditionally focused on, which is making phones that are affordable and phones that perform well and are designed well and they're solid and they're going to last and that they give you good value for your money. For your money. And they had three Android phones and they made a point of making sure that they were almost bone stock Android. There was nothing fancy about it, but it would do exactly what you needed to. And then they did the uh, Nokia 3310, the old uh, the, the, the phone that would survive anything. That classic phone and they brought it back and updated it and modern and ready to rock and still had snake on it. It was great. 
<laughs> so this year they came out, and they did uh, they did a couple of things. One is they came out with the Nokia One, which is a full-powered Android phone. of Android OS, nice screen, solid body, and it costs less than $80. That's oh, impressive. Wow. Which is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, that, could, that has the potential to open up uh, the smartphone market for new markets that haven't been able to afford these phones that even get the Moto G, great phone, but it's 150 bucks, yeah, or 180 or even more expensive now. So this phone is half that price. And then they have the Nokia 7 Plus, which is their new sort of flagship phone. It's got a great big screen, the 18 by 9 aspect ratio that more phones are picking up these days. Uh, lots of power and whatnot behind it, but still running a version of Android called Android One, which is Android or Oreo 8.0. But Nokia hasn't done a lot of dumping a bunch of uh, customizations on it, like LG and Samsung and whatnot will do. And their big announcement was the Nokia 8 Sirocco, <laughs> which is sort of a it's an aspirational device. It's selling for uh, it will sell for 750 euros, which is a really high price for a Nokia phone, but they've gone all out with this beautiful design with curved glass, and uh, it, the screen goes all the way to the edge on the left and the right, and it just feels amazing in the hand. And it's not a phone that's necessarily worth the money, but <laughs> when they sit down and tell the Nokia designers, do what you want, this is what they come back with. You know what, Derek? This question, and again, you know, if there are people out there listening that are Nokia fans, you know, there's no disrespect to the company. This is the company that, you know, along with Motorola, sort of revolutionized at the time before the smartphone craze what a handheld device was. But, you know, I'm sort of getting the feel that we're getting, we're sort of seeing that what happened with BlackBerry, where a company that was great and known for making great products in this sector coming back with new products but the fact is do you feel that there's still relevance here are people really going and I don't mean to sound mean are they going to care or is it too is it too late too little too late for a company like Nokia that stayed out of the game in a big way you know in a big way for a little bit of time do you think it's too late for Nokia to sort of come back and be a major player again in the mobile space I think there is potential for it they announced their phones last year in February and that most of their phones didn't come out until a couple of months later. And in just the span of 2017, they managed to sell 70 million phones. Now, a lot of those were feature phones, the, the candy bar type phones like the 3310 right. and other other feature phones that they've had in their, their stock. And that, those phones are generally low cost to manufacture. They sell for a low cost, but the, the profit margin on them is relatively high. So they can use that to help finance their Android division which is important because they want to be able to ensure that when eventually feature phones do die, they have an Android offering on tap. And at the same time, by driving the cost of Android phones down with devices like the Nokia One and providing a quality experience, because you can go out and buy a $50 Android phone, but it's going to be complete garbage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Whereas if you go and buy a Nokia One, yes, it's not the best screen, and it's not the fastest process, and it doesn't have the most RAM. But it's going to do what you need to do, and it's solidly built and solidly supported. And, of course, there's the Nokia nostalgia play. Everybody knows the Nokia brand. And they even actually had another nostalgia play on their plate this year with the revival of the Nokia 8810, if I'm remembering the numbers correctly. Yeah. Remember the Matrix phone? Yeah, exactly. The yeah. Slide-out phone? They're bringing that back 
with a modern OS and a refreshed banana phone design uh, and 4G LTE connectivity. It's not running Android, but it's a neat phone. Uh, and it's that sort of thing that actually gets people talking about the Nokia brand. Because I remember that phone. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Versus you know, Nokia comes out with the Nokia 8 Sirocco. You go, okay, that's neat. But if you can play on that nostalgia that people have, uh, you can really do a lot with it. That's something I hope that the brands that are licensing, the BlackBerry brand, can do as well. We are talking to Derek Kessler, managing editor of Mobile Nations, who is in Barcelona, Spain, currently at uh, Mobile World Congress. Derek, uh, I, I got a kind of it's kind of a big picture, but I think one of the biggest headlines or one of the biggest pieces of news that came out of MWC this year is the emergence and how soon we're going to see fifth generation LTE and wireless networking. I mean, five G was front and center, and we're going to see this in in our hands really soon. Yes, absolutely. Um... Huawei and a couple of other companies are investing big, lots of money into 5G because they know that it has a huge potential for them to create a vastly expanded user base. Right now, most people will typically have one LTE device, their phone. But the goal with 5G is to start connecting everything. So they passed around a, uh, in one of our press briefings, they had their first production consumer level device with 5G and it was a modem that you're supposed to install in your house and then it provides internet connectivity for your house from a 5G network. So if you don't have the ability to say run a cyber line to your house, you can put this thing in your house, bam, you have internet. Right now it's about the size of a note card. And the chip to do it is about an inch and a half square. It's going to take some time for them to bring all of this technology down to size. But just one year ago, when Qualcomm was showing off their side of the development boards, they were the size of a, you know, a large laptop just for a radio. Yeah. Uh, so in a year or two, these things are going to start showing up in phones, they're going to start showing up in watches, and all sorts of other connected devices. And the big thing with 5G is, of course, yes, it's faster. Well, what speeds are we actually seeing with 5G? Uh, they are talking about uh, speeds up to 5 gigabits with 5G. Wow. Of course, right now... LTE. LTE is technically capable of gigabit speeds, but you're never going to see that in the real world. Yeah. And you'll, you'll probably never see these 5G speeds, or these 5 gigabit speeds from 5G in the real world, because it has to be just those perfect laboratory conditions. And you have to make sure that you have all of the, the cables that are actually running to the 5G towers are capable of transmitting all that, and that it's not too yeah. overloaded with other devices. So I'm sure you remember when LTE first came out, and you got your first LTE phone, your first guy on the block with LTE, and it was so fast. Yeah, but you talk about, I mean, you talk about those speeds, even if it, we never see a true gigabit throughput of, you know, 4G, which, of course, we won't, like you said. Even if, you know, well, we have seen one-tenth, 20% of that, sometimes 25% of that. You put that over to 5G, yeah. if we're looking at 5 gigabit, if we see one-tenth, you know, you know, 15% of that, that's still a huge, huge gain that we're talking about. Absolutely. Having, you know, two, 200 megabits, even 500 megabits download speeds wirelessly is going <laughs> to be amazing. And one of the things that they're also doing with 5G is they're also doing a lot to decrease latency, which is the time that it takes for your request to go from your device to the tower yep. to whatever server it's talking to. Uh, and right now on LTE, you're lucky if you can get under 50 millisecond latency. Of course, 50 millisecond is really fast according to our human perception. But to a computer, 50 milliseconds is an eternity. Uh, so they are working with 5G to make that bring that a lot down 
a lot shorter time for the uh, response time. Because the shorter your response time, the faster thing, the faster these devices can communicate with each other. So one of the things that they're working on is actually setting up 5G so that you can have cars that are able to communicate with each other on the road. So say you have all your self-driving cars, and they can communicate with each other without actually having to directly contact the car in front of it. It contacts the server, the server knows where all the cars are, and it's able to communicate with other cars on the road with ease. Derek, tell us a little bit about uh, about Mobile Nations before I let you go. Uh, so Mobile Nations is a network of technology news and helping how to and community websites. We have a couple of different sites, including Android Central, Windows Central, and iMore.com and CrackBerry.com for all those BlackBerry fans out there to help cover all of the technology needs from figuring out what device you need to get to how best to use that device and get the most out of it and forums to help make sure that you can get exactly what you need to talk to people who are also using the devices and have a great time with your devices and absolutely enjoy your device instead of being frustrated by it. Very cool. Well, I wanted to thank you, obviously, for joining us, and thank you for updating us on MWC. Uh, when, you're, when you're back home, you should give us a call, and we should talk more about uh, Mobile Nations and some of the other properties, because I've been actually a fan of uh, half those websites for uh, almost my entire life, and, of course, only made the connection now that uh, they're owned by uh, Mobile Nations. Yeah, sure thing. Let's take a quick break and come back and welcome on our next guest, who's from a company that we all know and love, and that is Belkin, who have some great new accessories for some of these products that were just announced at MWC. Your tech report will be right back. I'm Matt Cundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.